Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Well, we've just started, Rena. How are you doing? Yeah, good. How are you? <laughs> I'm really well. Well, thanks for coming on today. I know you're a busy lass, and uh, uh, you've been in the Middle East recently. How was how your experience of uh delivering the workshops in the middle east yeah so i was um out there delivering uh the mindful medics program that i run at a hospital for um doctors and nurses and administration staff out there in a private hospital and um it's interesting because up until now my uh the bulk of my experience in healthcare has been nhs Mm. uh mainly and so I wasn't quite sure how it would be taken in the Middle East you know talking about mindfulness and uh, empathy and compassion and self-compassion looking after yourself as a healthcare professional Um, but honestly what I realized was that regardless of uh, where you come from um, or the institution in which you're working private or public you know we're all prone to um struggling actually while we look after our patients struggling to look after ourselves and um they the doctors and the nurses and the the staff out there were really uh, interested in their own personal well-being and looking after themselves using these practices um to better help their patients mm. Um, so, you know, that foundation, I, I deliver um, courses with the tagline, healthcare starts with self-care. Mm. Um, and really, I think more and more health professionals around the world are beginning to notice that, you know, if you break the foundation, which is, you know, the staff, then um, it's going to have a detrimental effect going forward. So had some uh, great feedback from there and hope to be back there soon. Where, what what inspired you to have that tagline? Uh, what inspired me was my personal journey and personal story. So I uh, was working in the NHS as a junior doctor, you know, climbing my way up this career path. Um, though uh, when I left clinical medicine, I left as a GP registrar, actually the bulk of my um, clinical career was in hospital mm. um, and particularly in acute medicine and A&E. Mm. Um, so... Of course, was working, you know, crazy hours, as most doctors do, these 12-hour shifts, which never finish at 12 hours, um, you know, seeing patients. And and whilst I enjoyed doing that, um, I really struggled with my sleep, with mm. my um, diet. Um, you know, if you're not stopping to eat at regular intervals, you're reaching for sugary foods just to keep going, you know, the odd biscuit on the ward or, you know, the can of Coke just to keep going uh, or hyper-caffeinating yourself as as I did many, many a days. Um, This is going to have an impact on how you feel mentally and physically. And for me, um, I burnt out and I, what, what was 
what was um, really enlightening for me um, after the whole process was when I looked back at what was happening and my journey over the past few years uh, working in uh, hospitals, I was burning out, but I wasn't realizing I was burning out. Mm. Now, as doctors, we are trained, right, to spot the signs and the symptoms and diagnose. Um, and I had a personal blind spot to my own symptoms of burnout. You know, I'm not sleeping so well. My mood is more erratic, um, lower in mood. I'm generally an extrovert. I'd, I'd started to withdraw. Um, I was focused very much on um, sort of fear of failing and fear of failing my exams or just not being um, good enough, you know, getting all this research and audits and publications out, etc. Um, and stuck in this competitive environment where uh, I look back now and think these are the signs, you know, these are the signs where you're starting to fatigue mentally, physically, where you're losing your mojo, so to speak, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, losing your passion uh, for what you're doing and becoming more apathetic. And of course, you know, I look back now and I could have probably picked this up in someone else external to me, but there was a personal blind spot. And so I think a lot of doctors, nurses, healthcare professionals have this, where they're so focused externally, and of course we should be, we're there to look after our patients, but if we're not feeling well in ourselves, um, then this is going to have a detrimental effect. So healthcare starts with self-care really started from my personal journey, where I became very unwell, um, had to, was really had to take some time out, was forced by my mind and my body to just stop. And um, was diagnosed with uh, workplace-related stress, with anxiety, depression, and, and burnout. And for me, um, a lot of this, of course, manifested mentally, but physically as well. So I remember there was a period of six months where I was really struggling with a lot of sort of uh, gastrointestinal problems, mm. you know, digestion, um, hyperacidity, um, not really digesting my food so well. And of course, we we know there's a huge connection between the gut and the mind, mm. right? Um, but it's rarely talked about in, in medical school, um, you know, the impact that stress has on the body. Um, so I was feeling all of this stuff, but of course, looking for a, a sort of... Um, physical problem rather than considering my lifestyle mm. um, so looking for you know have I got gastroenteritis or have I got a viral infection or something rather than actually is it your lifestyle Rena, that's causing these issues you know and the stress that you're taking on um, and, and so what made you make that mind shift from external to internal from viruses to the mm. mind and the internal work yeah so um actually well i was i i had to take some time off mm. and i was initially signed off for two weeks and of course um two weeks probably not not enough to start dealing with you know the internal storms that that are often self-created um the mental crazy mental mind the mental monkey mind um so two weeks turned into two years wow. and um actually i so i was 
now long term off sick and when you're off sick you lose your identity right um so you know most people it's very interesting you start to notice um things which really get to you and one of the things that got to me when i was off sick was when i met people especially new people there are two questions they would ask like firstly hi how are you who are you and then the second question is what do you do right um and so the what do i do was a really difficult answer um you know a difficult question to answer because it was like well i'm a doctor but currently not practicing i'm off sick like what do i say and what will this mean and how will this you know how will this person view me um and so i began to get very uncomfortable with that question um and so i realized that i needed to i wanted to address why i was so uncomfortable with saying i'm i'm at the moment i'm currently not working you know and it's because i was very comfortable hiding behind the identity of a doctor and it's interesting because i didn't i wasn't born a doctor right i i developed <laughs> this identity uh you know 6 years you know in medical school and then you know a few years later i had this this identity i had this label um and now i was so attached to it um and so that became really um interesting for me i was looking at all of the things that i was so attached to and they're all kind of these external i'm a doctor i live in this particular place i you know i have this degree i have a certain status i have a certain car a certain pair of shoes handbags mm. you know etc and and actually in these two years i didn't have any of that you know when i used to spend uh my days sitting on a park bench uh, people watching or meditating i remember watching the swans go by i was living in cambridge at the time sitting by the river just watching the swans go by and breathing and that was my reality at that time and to accept that means dropping all of the i should be doing this and i should be doing that and i should be um life should be this way and that way and that's when really the the internal work started um but of have course, you done internal work before you know where you were sort of an internal uh, metaphysical uh, esoteric individual before um, I- not not to this extent yeah. but yes i was always quite reflective mm. um you know i grew up uh, sort of going to the temple and mm. sort of praying but again even those prayers were all external you know mm. pray for good results mm. in mm-hmm. your exams or pray for i don't know um you know the health of your family or pray for safety or you know but it wasn't it wasn't like um a sort of just just pray to be uh, at peace with yourself you know praying for that internal struggle that, that yeah. people don't realize that they have on a daily basis yes. you know, there is an internal struggle there pray to navigate the world as 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 it comes comes to you and um it's not really for me it's no longer about prayer it's just about a sort of uh knowing knowing having self awareness of what's happening internally now in terms of my thoughts so you know i'll catch myself thinking crazy thoughts as most mm. of us have 
Um, so it might be, you know, something new comes up for me and the first thought is, I'm going to fail at this. Or uh, actually, I don't know if I'm good enough. Or imposter syndrome, which I had, I had huge, huge uh, difficulty with imposter syndrome, and I, I still do, um, if I'm honest. And whenever there's an ask of me, the immediate uh, reaction mentally is, I probably can't do that, mm-hmm. or what if I don't do it so well, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And so. Uh, now it's around self-awareness and then self-management of how do you best manage that, you know, and how do you fail fail forward if you are going to fail? And most of the time we don't fail. Um, it's the fear of failure because you can always learn, you yeah. know. From- yeah. So, so you know, having watched Swans in Cambridge for, for nearly two <laughs> years, what, what, what sort of happened after that? Well, it wasn't quite two years. It was, <laughs> it was uh, probably a few months on and yeah. off. Um, what happened was during that time, I decided to go back to roots, go go to India, and um, I wanted to look into more holistic medicine. So I decided to uh, study, and really the study was for self, uh, self-study rather than to, to practice um, or to treat anyone else, was to study Ayurvedic medicine, which is, you know, the ancient Indian medicine. Um, and in Ayurveda, they treat you uh, looking at body composition but they also treat you with um with meditation yoga massage herbs diet so all the holistic stuff and i started to practice ayurvedic medicine for myself personally and this started to help but what really started to um what created the pivotal shift was uh, my meditation practice so you know starting to uh, meditate uh, using breath work or body work, you know, body scan, for example, noticing sensations occurring within the body and noticing the change, you know, and everything that happens within the body, actually, we can we can reflect um, externally as well, you know, so things come, things arise, right? So there'll be a sensation that arises, it stays for a while, and then it passes. And that's that happens with everything inside my mind, inside my body, externally, you know, um, we are, as, as they say, you know, a man watching the river is never watching the same river, you know, so um, that flow of life is always there. Um, and to remain equanimous, you know, to remain stable, despite the storm, so to speak, um, and enjoy sometimes even the storms, you know, as you're going through them. Um, it was was really pivotal for me because I started to notice that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't uh, the identity. I wasn't the status. I wasn't the bank balance. You know, I was this being who was navigating the experience of, of the world. Mm. Um, and so that for me was was a huge shift. So it was the meditation practice. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now you do a lot of, um, let's say, creative work. You know, yeah. Were you always a creative individual or was it, you know, you got it, you know, you identified yourself with with the, the status and the labels that, that, that made you forget about your your natural creative abilities? 
You know, it's interesting you say that because, um, or you ask that because I never considered myself a creative individual. I was always terrible at art. I can't draw to save my life, for example. Never did really well at music uh, at school, let's say. Um, drama, though, I really enjoyed. A bit of a drama queen, so really enjoyed that. Um, but I remember, so it's an interesting story. So growing up in an Indian family, you know, it, Asians generally, and I am generalizing here, but, you know, place a lot of emphasis on education and it's the science and the maths, right, um, in particular. And I remember when I was doing my GCSEs, I said to my parents, look, I'm happy to do the science and the maths. And yes, I'm good at it, but I really want to do drama as for GCSEs. And they were like, why? Like, it's such a waste, you know, of your one subject. Like, why don't you choose another language or something? And I said, no, I really want to do drama. And um, so, you know, they were like, okay, fine. You know, just just kind of do your do your drama thing, but focus on your, the real stuff, which is the maths and the English and the you know and the science. And so I did I did drama, you know, for GCSE. It's interesting because I came out with um, the lowest grade I came out with was in drama interestingly so you, um so i got eight a stars and one a and the a was in drama wow. okay now you can imagine my parents were like see we told you so like you know you could have got all a stars across the board and that's what my sister got so i was really like kind of competing with with the best um in my family and um i look back now and while i did you know, get an A, which is not a bad grade by any means, you know, but the lowest grade of, of everything, all the other subjects, I enjoyed it the most. And that's the difference, right? It's like, well, actually, we're looking at these external labels and grades, but we're not looking at what what gets me fired up? What, what do I enjoy? What makes me passionate? What keeps me in flow? You know, like that that sort of sense of, Time just goes and I'm not realizing it and I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I'm so focused and so present to what I'm doing. So it's interesting. Um, I never considered myself a creative person, but now, yes, I create. I create workshops. I create courses. I go into various workplaces, corporate um, world. So I was recently presenting at Google, for example, and I was delivering a workshop around mindfulness and stress and resilience. And um, a lot of that was creative work that I've put together um, using my own personal journey, but also looking at the science, but considering how can we take the research and perhaps create a, an animation to talk about the research rather than taking people who aren't necessarily interested in, you know, scientific studies as such, like going into the detail, talk to them about the science and the theory of mindfulness meditation using animation, mm -hmm. for example. So, um, yeah, really get to do some creative work now and really enjoy it. And that's what um, makes all the difference for me. So that's really interesting because you've... Um lead to it to to a very important concept which is enjoying one's work yes. and there's many people out there who don't enjoy what they do unfortunately so what are your three top tips for someone who's doing work which you know they used to enjoy but don't enjoy anymore 
How can they get that enjoyment back? Mm -hmm. So, um, interestingly, so, right, you might be in a job which you, you know, have have to do maybe a lot of a lot of stuff you don't like. So I personally don't like doing admin. Yeah. I don't like doing tax returns, etc. Right. Um, but it has to be done. Right. So um, what I what I would say is when you are doing so firstly notice notice the stuff that gets you really fired up and see if you can do more of that so for clinicians there are some clinicians who love doing patient facing work right there are other clinicians who really like piecing the puzzle together and it's the diagnosis or the differential diagnosis and the investigative stuff for example there are others who really like i don't know the management side of things so um you know really understand what gets you what gets you fired up you know scale it if you need to scale it you know on a one to ten like this makes me feel like a ten this makes me feel like a nine um but what the study shows so interestingly there's a study done at harvard which showed that um on average the mind is wandering 47 percent of the time so almost half of the time we're at work or even at home the mind wanders and it's distracted it also showed that the more the mind wanders, the less happy we are, okay? So even if you're going through a challenging situation or you're doing work that you don't particularly enjoy, see if for a few moments you can, you can apply yourself um, to focus on it without the distraction and most people start to feel like once they're able to do that, they begin to start to enjoy it, even if it's a bit mundane. Um, so I would say, firstly, have the self-awareness of what is it that I really enjoy doing and how can I do more of this? But also while you're doing stuff that you don't particularly enjoy, see if rather than getting more and more distracted, which takes you away from enjoying the task or takes you away from focusing on the task, you can actually for five or 10 minutes just focus on the task at hand. Um, you're probably gonna be more productive and you'll get that stuff done and out of the way. But most people find that the more focused they are, the more in flow they are, the more they enjoy what they're doing. So I would say those are the two two main things. And the, th the third is, um, enjoy stuff outside of work right like really have so if if yes you know we can't all necessarily leave our jobs and i'm not advocating that we all do that um you know because it's hard uh i while now i am in a, in a job that i love it was hard getting to this point and you know there's always instability and insecurity in whatever you do um which is why i say also enjoy your your downtime and time outside of work so really if you don't have a hobby or a passion um try out new things and see what really um makes you come alive you know so i've recently discovered um that my my thing outside of work is dancing mm -hmm. i love to dance right i'm not very good at it uh, necessarily and i'm not very coordinated but even if it's just freestyle dancing i love doing that and so you know if i'm in the car well i've usually got a concert going on in the background <laughs> you know my my own little rock concert going on um and i really enjoy that wow wow that's that's absolutely great coming back to the process of focus 
I know yeah. you like to talk forever, so you know we we we, we do have only uh, three minutes left. <laughs> um, coming back to focus, you've recently been on a uh, a silence uh, or a silent um, retreat. retreat. Yeah. So, do you think that that could help? Of course. I mean, so so I recently came back from Vipassana, which is like a 10-day silent meditation retreat. And, um, you know, I would say it's not something, if you've never meditated before, please don't put yourself through a 10-day silent meditation <laughs> retreat because, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever done, um, yet potentially the most transformative um, because you really are are left to your own devices and you really get to know uh, the changing nature of the mind, you get to notice the changing nature of the sensations within the body and you're focusing the whole time on what's happening internally. And yes, I do feel that it can help, but you don't need to go through a 10-day silent meditation um, you know, to help yourself on a day-to-day -day basis. If you're simply focusing on the breath, the inhalation, the exhalation, the breath entering the body, leaving the body. Um, you can do this in stealth mode, right? So you can do this between patients. You can do this between meetings. You can do this, you know, as you're segueing through the day. And it's a really great way to reset and refocus rather than going into a meeting being distracted from the conversation you've just had mm. is to kind of reset yourself um, so that you're better equipped to navigate that meeting and you're fully there. Um, and that's such a powerful way of, as you said, resetting yourself and uh, increasing your success rate in the next uh, meeting or workshop or patient or, yeah, or a relationship or interaction. It's so powerful. How can people get hold of you? What's the best way? Um, the best way is probably my website, drinakotecha.com or email me on mindfulmedics, M-I-N-D-F-U-L-M-E-D-I-C-S at outlook.com. Uh, and obviously you're on LinkedIn as well. Yes. Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Surgical Spirit Podcast. For all the latest in the world of Surgical Spirit, don't forget to follow on Twitter at The Third Eye Doc and catch me on Facebook at the page The Third Eye Doctor. You can visit the website at www.thethirdeyedoctor.co.uk For more information on the work that I do, and please send us feedback and questions and suggestions for the podcast. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. I've been Dr. Haida Al-Hakim and I'll see you next time.